Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Netflix series made shined a light on the social injustices in our society when it comes to class, as well as the toll of emotional abuse. We are here today with the creator and executive producer of Made, Molly Smith Metzler. I've heard that the Obamas are big proponents of stories such as Made about the forgotten class of America and that more should be told. And I'm curious for you, what does this story say about society and what we have gone through in recent years? I mean, this is a beacon to what needs to be done and what needs to be fixed and could fill just a huge, huge cavity that is you know, just responsible for a lot of divide, I would say. Yes, uh, well, I've heard that the Obamas are um, talking about shows like Made as well and the need for them, which makes me feel, of course, very validated because I I really agree. And when I read Made the Memoir, um, which is an incredibly disturbing and searing memoir, but it takes you through step by step what it's actually like to be a single mom below the poverty line in America today. And it is appalling. It's I mean, she can't do it. You cannot she cannot work. She is an incredibly educated, smart, savvy young woman, and she cannot navigate uh, the government steps involved in trying to get SNAP and all of the resources that are allegedly available. It's a full-time job to try to get those benefits that aren't really beneficial. And you cannot support yourself and a child in this country on minimum wage. And the Kate, and the book makes that very clear. And so uh, the opportunity to make that clear to an even wider audience on television was really compelling for me. Tell me about the impact coming away from when this show first dropped last fall. The re- how has it resonated? I mean, I've seen the pieces like in Romper talking about, you know, the issues that the show is addressing, but have you seen or heard of anything like on a local level or anywhere in any part of our society, what the impact of the show has been? I think it's been twofold. On the, on the one hand, certainly there's much more conversation now about these government programs, about the lack of benefits in this country, about minimum wage um, and the reform that's necessary. You just, I think, made open up a door for people to start talking and being angry about these things and, and demanding for change. And so I, I hear a lot about that. But I think even larger is this issue of emotional abuse um, you know, and domestic violence. I think Two, bit, two, two little facts here. One is that during the pandemic, domestic violence in this country reached a crisis level. Um, I think people were trapped at home with their abusers. And it, you know, we really need to start to talk about these issues. And right now is a, is a very pregnant time for it. A lot of people suffered during the pandemic. And after MAID came out, uh, the, you know, we, one of the things Netflix did that was great was 
you know, make these resources available to our audience, the domestic violence hotline number, and calls went up 65% in the fall. Um, and there's a lot of statistics that have been reported, but we see much more just support on the local level of domestic violence shelters. I don't think people even knew that they were there. I don't think people knew what emotional abuse was. And so I've seen just a flooding of people wanting to share um, and heal. So tell us about how Stephanie Land's book came to you. Was it through Margot Robbie's company? How did this journey begin? It was very organic because John Wells and Margot Robbie decided to partner on the book and getting the rights and had met with Stephanie. And so they won the rights to the book. And I was sitting in John Wells' office because I was working on Shameless at the time. I wrote for three seasons of the show. Wonderful job. I was very close with John. And I think they were like needing to say, well, what writer, what what amazing writer should we bring this to? And I was in their face. I was literally in the writer's room. Um, and I had just written a play about motherhood called Cry It Out, which had had a really great run here in Los Angeles. So I think people were just aware of me and that I write about motherhood a lot. And so John and Aaron Jonto, who runs his TV um, department, they just handed it to me in the Shameless Writer's Room. So it was very organic. I went home and read it that night. I mean, it's just, these things don't happen this quickly and this easily, but it did with me. Is all of it Stephanie's life or are parts of it not? Is it a full autobiography about her? Uh, no, it's a it's a heavy adaptation. It's a, The truth is it's a loose adaptation. It's um, what I think is that it's very emotionally true to the memoir. I think the show captures the emotional stress that of the experience that Stephanie Land had. But what's a little bit different is, um, you know, the memoir, she doesn't talk to anyone. It's very lonely. She is completely alone. So all of the characters in the show are, are fictionalized, but also kind of created her, you know, her mom's not really in the book. Um, we don't really get to know her boyfriend very well. Regina's an invented character. Um, all of Danielle isn't in the book. So, so very much the cast is all created to make the show a show because uh, someone being alone for 10 hours on screen doesn't make very compelling television. <laughs> There's a moment in episode four where um, she's talking with Regina toward the end. And Regina is revealing, you know, the struggle to, to get pregnant and also how her husband wants to divorce her. And, you know, it's a really wonderful, complex discussion. I mean, on one level, it's like, these are rich people problems. But on a whole other level, it's like the square root of us all we're all the same outside class and welfare. I was wondering if you could talk about that because I, that, that conversation really struck me because Regina lets her guard down and, and lets her in. I just found that to be very fascinating. And I was wondering what was going through the writers, the writer's room at that time. Well, absolutely. I think uh, first the episode, episode four was written by Becca Brunsetter, who's a wonderful playwright. Uh, and when we first started talking about this episode, to me, it really fit into a larger theme that we also wanted to tell that's not necessarily in the book, but this story about motherhood in America and how it looks very different when you have money and when you don't. Um, this is this like class and um, the socioeconomics of parenthood, something we were really interested in exploring. And that is in part why we you know, really gravitated to Regina as a character because we thought, well, you know, motherhood is sort of the great equalizer between two women like this. And even though they have nothing in common, you know, they will recognize each other in this moment. And 
boy, it was exciting to see it all come together. I mean, um, you know, the, mon the monologue is beautiful. And then Anika and what she brought to that role, um, it, it was just, you know, that night when we shot that, it was one of the most special nights on set for sure. So of course it takes place in, in, in Washington state, the Northwest, of course it's going to rain, but there is something wonderful. The earlier episodes are very heavily overcast and we gradually get into sunlight toward the end. Talk about that. Uh, well, that's another decision we made in terms of adapting it was to set it in one calendar year. Um, and what was wild is because of the pandemic, you know, we were supposed to start shooting in June, but we pushed a little bit and started shooting in September. So we actually did shoot this story during a calendar year. So uh, the weather was part of the story in a really organic way because it was set in, you know, October and we were shooting in October. It was set in January and we were shooting in January. It was really, it, I think it made it all feel so much more alive um, and lush. And, uh, you know, we shot in Victoria, British Columbia, which is an island off the coast of Canada. And uh, it was just so moody. It was a character in the show. And lucky for us, we got to kind of embrace that on screen. Um, but I love at the end, you know, things are turning hopeful and there's blossoms on the tree. I mean, you can't fake that. I guess you can fake that, but we didn't have to fake it. It was very, very good luck. Now, do you have access? Are, are you guys, do you, you and John and, and Margo, do you have uh, rights to, to Stephanie's next novel, Class? I know it's still in the works. We don't have the rights to her next novel. Uh, I think it's a memoir. I think it's also a memoir. Yeah. Um, but I no, we don't have the rights yet. I don't think it exists yet. So I don't even think those are conversations that have happened yet. Um, but I will say, I think Stephanie has a lot to say. And, and uh, she's such a fabulous writer. So I, uh, I suspect it will be a page turner. Was she involved in the writer's room at all? Stephanie was a great friend to the writer's room. And what I mean is, you know, before we started writing, uh, John and I and a couple of the producers flew up. We spent five, five days with her where she took us around Port Townsend, Washington and showed us all the real places that she wrote about in the memoir. She's very generous and available for questions, but she also fully understood that this was going to be a, a loose adaptation and that we had our own job to do. And, uh, you know, gave us that space and privacy to do our job, but was really readily available and um, and also loves the show and is and been very positive about it, which is always, you know, it doesn't always go like that. So <laughs> we're grateful. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So this is a very, you know, organic evolution from, from shameless to made. And again, totally different, but, but dealing, you know, with, with a similar class. And I'm just curious, when it comes to working with John Wells, who's a master of humanity, as the director and executive producer of the show, tell me about collaborating with him. Well, John has been uh, a mentor to me and now a dear friend, and I would follow him to the ends of the earth. And when I say that made exists because of John, that is not an overstatement. We had to shoot this in the pandemic. And the fact that he was our executive producer, uh, you know, certainly 
had a humongous effect on the fact that we were able to shoot with the protocols and with the precision and he took care of the team and we were very lucky to have him as our executive producer. Um, and when it came to the creative, it, it was a very natural collaboration, but it was also, we were very smart because we've worked together a bunch and off the bat, we had this kind of understanding that, you know, made is a show about a woman. I'm the female creator and showrunner and it had to be in my voice. And so this was very much, you know, my writer's room, um, John read notes, but the writing process and what was on screen was, I had to take that, you know, if you talk about like stories, I was the A story in terms of the writing. Um, and, and I think that was really good because otherwise, you know, he could speak to the direction and the production and together, but we had very clean, clean, clean roles. He was not the writer of the show. I was. And I think that together then that it made it very clean, very positive, And I'm really proud of it. But it also feels like something that I made. It's, it, it's not something John made. It's something I made. And then, you know, he had this incredible, incredible oversight of it. Margaret and Andy, how did they come to it? And, and this is the first thing that they've ever teamed on. Yes. And what's interesting about them, they have two different acting styles at least so it seems, and they just mesh so well together. Talk about how they came to it. And also, was there an automatic shorthand there where you just let the, the two of them go and they knew what to do? So first with the casting, you know, we, we knew Alex was going to be very hard to cast and a very big deal because you know, we don't break point of view. We are with her for 10 hours. She's in every single frame. So we knew Alex was everything. And um, we met Margaret Qualley. She came in red and, uh, you know, for the role. And once I saw her read, there was no one else that could play this role. It was, uh, she was just so raw and unaffected. And uh, she has a sort of joy and dignity, even in the most humiliating scenes, you know, I just loved her and I wanted to write the show for her. And we were very lucky because she wanted to do it. So we cast her immediately. And then we started casting the other roles. We cast Nick Robinson next as Sean. And uh, Paula is really hard because, you know, it's a very difficult role. Um, and so we were sort of, you know, thinking about it. Everyone thought of Andy McDowell because we were like, it's Margaret's mom. But we didn't want to bring it up because it's Margaret's mom. So, you know, we were shooting for nine months on an island. That's not everyone's idea of a good time to go do that with their mother. So it was a wonderful relief because Margaret brought it up to us. And she said, I've really thought about this and I want to do this with my mom. Uh, we got her the script and he wanted to do it. It was like the easiest casting ever. It came together. The minute Margaret brought it up, it happened. So, uh, and it was to answer your other question, it was just electric watching them on set because they had not worked, you know, their mother and daughter, but they hadn't worked together yet so you watch them kind of you know navigate how to support each other in this new way um and you know they're both so professional and so fantastic but they it was also i think emotional for them they hugged after takes and some of the more demanding scenes you could tell like they had to kind of process together a little bit and you know they made soup together on sundays and got massages and it gave the whole gave the whole crew like a real sense of family that we had a real mom and mom and daughter at the helm so I understand you selected um, the miniseries finale, episode 10, to be submitted for Emmys. Tell us about what you love about that particular episode. I think we submitted 10 for, for writing. We kind of submitted different ones for different things. I was really excited they wanted to submit 10 because it was the finale. It's, it was the hardest one for me to write. And um, I remember, you know, when I finally kind of got that draft together, I, I remember thinking this is either gonna spectacularly fail 
or, or land like a plane, you know, I don't know until we shoot it, but, you know, just to refresh, it's the episode where Alex is teaching a writing workshop uh, while writing. And then, you know, also we have to end all these scenes. There's a lot of mom and daughter scenes in it. It's kind of a playwrighty episode. There's a lot of character work and a lot of difficult conversations and, uh, you know, writing a writer who's teaching a writing workshop, that's like a nightmare assignment, you know? Um, So I just tried to be I just tried to be honest and careful. And uh, I was very excited when I saw the cut and didn't think it was a spectacular disaster. <laughs> what is next for you? Is it is it the thing about jellyfish uh, or are you working on another show? That I am currently on an overall deal at Netflix. So for the next three years, I'll be working for them, which is great news because I had a wonderful collaboration with them on MADE. And uh, it's, it's so it's, I kind of got, got exactly what I wanted, which is I get to stay with exactly who I worked with on Made and do the next show. Uh, my first project out of the gate, I think I'm adapting one of my plays into a limited series. I'm working on that right now. Um, but I'm really excited to, to do the next several things with them. So that's what I'll be doing there. Uh, on the feature space, I just finished a film. So I'm deciding what to do next. Um, but the thing about Jellyfish is a couple of years ago now. So I don't think I'll be working on that. But the other thing I'm doing is I'm a playwright and, you know, even before Shameless and before Orange is New Black, before I did any television, I've been writing plays about class in America and women. And uh, these are just the themes that I always gravitate to. So I'm writing a new play as well for the Kennedy Center. So I'm busy. Fantastic. Tell us about getting started in the business. You came out of the MFA program at at NYU uh, in dramatic writing. Where did you start? Was it with Orange is the New Black? Did you work as an assistant? Did you do a packet of three of, of three samples of work, which is what I always hear about. But, you know, one's an original and then two are shows that you don't want to work on, but give an idea of like, oh, this is my idea of what, you know, an episode of Modern Family might be or something like that. Yes. You know, there's so many different paths into the television world. Um, mine was that LA came to me. Um, and so what I did was I finished my MFA in dramatic writing at Tisch. And then I went to Juilliard and I kept studying playwriting and writing my weird plays and waitressing. And I did that for 15 years. And eventually I wrote a play that captured the attention of Steve McQueen, who is coming off of his Oscar win for 12 Years a Slave. And he was putting together his first uh, limited series for, it was for HBO at the time. Uh, it didn't actually end up happening, which was unfortunate, but the room was fantastic. And it was my first room. It was in New York, you know, really experienced, really fabulous writers. And I was like the newbie in the room and I soaked it up and I learned so much. And I said, well, this is what I want to do. Um, and then from there, I started to work on casual, the Hulu show, did a couple seasons of that, then orange, then shameless. And I've been, you know, worked, worked on kind of these artful, you know, um, kind of, outside of the box shows. And it's very much like theater to me. I feel like I've gotten to kind of keep in the in that in that lane of of you know little darkness, little humor, but really pushing the envelope of what TV can be. So um yeah, like I said, some good luck. But my advice is not necessarily to do what I did. It involved a lot of waitressing and a lot of poverty. I think if there's a way you can go straight to LA out of grad school and get working, that's what you should do. Molly Smith Metzler, thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Anthony.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.